0: ulterior what is up everybody so this is part four of the ongoing five-part series this week where i look at my top 50 favorite records of 2022 so part one monday looked at records 50 to 41 part two on tuesday was for records 40 to 31 yesterday wednesday covered uh, records 30 to 21 and then today we're looking at records 20 to 11 so we're in top 20 now it's just getting pretty heavy like for real for real uh thank you for listening to this installment and i really hope you enjoy it thank you for all the support Number 20 is The Hum Goes On Forever by The Wonder Years. Shit. Shit. It's hopeless shit. I wasn't at all surprised by The Hum Goes On Forever because I... Have known about the talent and abilities within the Wonder Years, even if I myself have not really been a huge merchant of theirs for whatever reason. I can still admire their work and at times connect with it. What happened with the Hum Goes On Forever was I got to enjoy and in turn let all of you guys know about what was my favorite Wonder Years record to date. What you get on this album is the display of every facet of the Wonder Years that have been able to make them the melancholic juggernauts that they are. So you get those very like emo pop punk songs through, you know, Why Song, Your Name, Oldest Daughter, Low Tide. Low Tide in particular being maybe the biggest hit on the record for myself. I feel like Low Tide is just so catchy while being gutting and painful at the same time. And I think that is a big part of the charm for the Wonder Years. Those really slow brooding tones are also present on The Doors I Painted Shut and Cardinals 2. Uh, Lost It in, Lost in The Lights, I look at that song and I feel like even if I just, you know, praise Low Tide and I had Cardinals 2 in the Top 100 series, Lost It In The Lights is respectfully right there along with those songs. And that might be the gem of the album, even if I have acknowledged other songs as being my favorites per se. There's just something to the delivery on The Home Goes On Forever that, again, is painted so perfectly in those black and white textures that the Wonder Years have been able to master at this point. And even if I'm putting it at 20, if somebody told me their record of the year was The Home Goes On Forever, I would get it. I would understand where they're coming from, and I would have no arguments whatsoever about that because this record truly is special and generational. Number 19 is Sucker Punch by Maggie Lindemann. Essentially, the entire lifespan of Ulterior thus far, few artists have been as highly praised by myself as Maggie Lineman, and there are so many reasons for that, and I feel like those reasons managed to carry over from her EP last year, Paranoia, which was a top 10 release into Sucker Punch this year, and while Sucker Punch is not top 10 this time around, I feel like there are so many elements to this record that make it a justifiable case for someone else's top 10, if that makes any sense. Um, The lead single for this song, or this album, rather, She Knows It, my third favorite song of 2021, and if anything, that song has managed to only grow on me. I feel like She Knows It is, like, in its style, as simplistic as pop punk can get, but the themes of She Knows It, the way that Maggie can carry that song, and the effectiveness and the impact and the staying power of it managed to have She Knows It be just as important for myself this year as it was towards the end of last year. And looking at the rest of Sucker Punch, I feel like there are so many other tracks where that prowess displayed by Maggie is just fully out there for everybody to get to enjoy. Uh, How could you do this me featuring Kellen Quinn from Sleeping Your Sirens? Again, straightforward pop punk when you really think about it, but... The delivery and execution by not only Maggie, but Kellen as well made that song this really like superstar entity on this album. And I know I keep saying pop punk, but I'm not at all trying to like box Sucker Punch into that nomenclature. What I'm saying is that some songs here carry pop punk tones, but then other ones, they're able to have like these rock elements. And they remind me of like, you know, early 2000s female rock Uh, acts like pink or tattoo and maggie can perfectly navigate that sound take me nowhere self-sabotage you're not special like those songs have that tone to them and i think maggie is the perfect front woman for that kind of stuff she does get a little bit experimental as the record progresses like on songs such as casualty of your dreams and break me featuring sick brain there is this expansion into the electronic side of maggie uh we never even dated is predominantly acoustic and i think she is able to carry that song just beautifully and masterfully um the closing track cages one of the most anthemic songs of the year in my opinion and something where by the time i got to cages i felt like every avenue i could have asked for maggie to explore she did so and she did so very eloquently well and sucker punch managed to be something where even if i don't like it as much as paranoia It's still a good display and a showcase for why Maggie is somebody who the scene really could use as one of its faces moving forward. Number 18 is Scoring the End of the World by Motionless and White. When I really think about it, I don't know how many times Motionless have actually ever like perfected albums because I feel like any release of theirs, I can look at something and point to it as like, you were the wrong direction on this album. You were the misstep. You were what prevented this from being perfect. So like, you know, I can look at Infamous and Bully America or I can look at Loud Fuck It off of Graveyard Shift and then there's also Brand New Numb from Disguise, like each Motionless album has something wrong with it, per se. What I think is able to elevate scoring the end of the world for me is that even what can be classified as missteps, I don't mind them. And this is my way of saying that I don't think Red, White, and Boom is a bad song. Is it, like, the weakest on the album? Sure. But I think it's actually pretty catchy, and I kind of do fuck with it. And I ultimately do fuck with this entire record. And I feel like even if I maybe don't feel as strongly for this as i did back in june i can still put on masterpiece and werewolf and get lost in the moment and just say to myself like this is motionless and white acting at maybe the highest unified level they ever have like every member of the band is in that uh that realm where they're just kind of clicking and so much of this record works for that reason i do look at slaughterhouse and say that Ultimately, that might be my favorite overall motionless white song since Devil's Night back on Infamous. So, that is a 10 year stretch. And Slaughterhouse, it never gets old. I never get tired of hearing Chris and Brian trade off the best metalcore vocals of the entire year, in my opinion. There's just something about Slaughterhouse where that acts as like the lifeblood of this album. And I feel like that's a big reason why I have this attachment to scoring the end of the world. I think Cyberhex is the perfect example of how Motionless White can take those electronic tones and continue to perfectly uh, blend them into their metalcore style. Uh, we Become the Night, I feel like that song actually does align more with the like radio rock side of this act, if you want to say that, but I also think it works. Masterpiece, much the same, and Masterpiece has been able to do a lot of good for this band, so I think that is a strong track for sure. And then even all the way down to the closing track, which is also the title track for the album, that song is able to take the ideas presented in Scoring the End of the World and give it one shot at a soundtrack, and that made this album mean more to me by the end of it than it did at the beginning, if that makes any sense. Scoring the End of the World, I don't think it's perfect anymore. I think you can still find those signature uh, motions and white flaws on the album, But ultimately, this is as near to perfection as the band has ever reached, in my opinion. I love every song on it to some extent, and it's just the kind of album where I would hope that every Motionless and White fan who wanted to enjoy this record did so, and then even the ones who were on the fence and maybe a little bit resentful towards the band, they were able to gravitate towards it, because I don't see how you couldn't. Number 17 is Waiting for Your Colors by Chief State. One of the biggest surprises of the year for myself because I look at Chief State and I look at what their style is mostly grounded in and taking that into Waiting for Your Colors, on the surface, all it is is a 10-track pop punk album. I've heard plenty of those before and I felt like maybe I didn't need any more, but there is something to Waiting for Your Colors that makes it so unique and, and special compared to its contemporaries. I remember the two singles that I got to enjoy for this record beforehand were Burning Out and 22 Reasons. Burning Out was the moment where I had like my eyes and ears open to this band and I was like, wait, what is this? What are they cooking? Because it sounds fucking excellent. And you know what? Their entire record sounded excellent just as much as Burning Out did as a single. Um, 22 Reasons had this really like, emotional pacing to it without the song actually being overtly emotional and it was something that really did a lot to help me become further anticipatory for this album and then once i actually had it with me back on july 1st getting songs like continental drift and team wiped right away when you press play that really helped set the stage for again what is this extraordinary pop punk journey that chief state took me on And then as you progress through the album, you get to the final two songs. And I feel like this ended up being one of the absolute best back-to-back runs with any two songs on any album this year. Kills the Love, Haunts the Free, and Sakura. Kills the Loved, I feel like that song, it's very like daunting and brooding. And it kind of has a similar tone to it to what I was mentioning earlier about The Home Goes On Forever by The One Years. It's just kind of hard to sit through, but I can't pull myself away from it. I adore every second of that track. And then Sakura being the closing song, there is no other appropriate way that this record could have closed because Sakura is very cumulative of the record to the point where some moments from other songs appear on Sakura. Like in the bridge for this uh, track, you can hear... A little bit of a line from the course of Burning Out where it says, I'm burning out and it's only gotten harder. Sakura is the just fucking pinnacle of this album. And it's an album that, again, was really, really surprising to me. I was not at all expecting to enjoy Waiting for Your Colors the way that I did. But I am beyond thrilled that this ended up being the case. Number 16 is The Lost and the Longing by Holding Absence and Alpha Wolf. I absolutely fucking love collaborative efforts like this, and this EP might be one of the biggest dubs for the scene all year because of what it was able to do for both Holding Absence and Alpha Wolf, and how it satisfied the urge on the part of fans such as myself to get new material from both of these bands while bringing something that I was not expecting. So, with the loss and longing, you get four songs here. Uh, two of them are strictly Holding Absence and Alpha Wolf, and then the other two are Holding Absence and Alpha Wolf tracks with the other act featured on those songs. So I might have overcomplicated it, but basically you have Holtel Ologram by Alpha Wolf and then Coffin by Holding Absence, Six Centimeters of Steel by Alpha Wolf featuring Holding Absence, and Aching Longing by Holding Absence featuring Alpha Wolf. I don't think I made that any easier for any of you don't know at all what I'm talking about, but just let me cook for a second because his EP is fucking tremendous. Um, I feel like Hotel Underground kind of, for myself, gets a little bit buried by the other songs, but Hotel Underground really like fills that void that I've been needing in my life ever since I first heard A Quiet Place to Die by Alpha Wolf back in 2020. And the way that that song is just able to kind of continue that trend of having... This metalcore style with like a bunch of glitch sounds thrown in—it's so like uh, patented Alpha Wolf, and I cannot get enough of that style. And the same thing with Six Enemies of Steel, but the way that Lucas is able to lend his voice to that course, it allows that track to become one of the coolest fucking things that Alpha Wolf have ever done. Looking at what Holding Absence did on this album, you have Coffin, which is just one of the most emotional and cutting songs all year. And I wouldn't have expected anything else from Holding Absence because that is the style that they have become so, like, uh, masterful at. And anytime Holding Absence does something like Coffin, I am dropping everything that I'm doing to immediately pay attention to whatever it is that they're trying to offer me. Aching Longing is one of my favorite songs all year. I cannot get enough of the pacing of that song and the outro section where Lucas is just saying like kind of repeatedly, there's so much life to live and I lost my lust for it. There's so much love to give, but I've given everything. And I said this in the song series, that track and what it was able to mean to me, I I wouldn't trade that for anything. I think Aching Longing is one of the best songs all year. This EP is one of the best releases all year. Holding Absence and Alpha Wolf are two of the best bands in the world right now, easily. And there is just no way that anybody, a Holding Absence fan or an Alpha Wolf fan or a fan of both, or even a fan of neither, if this was your first experience with them, there's no way you could have left this EP empty handed in any fashion. Number 15 is I Saw Hell When I Was With You by Downcast. Not to be confused with the 90s hardcore band Downcast, this Downcast, you spell their name with all lowercase letters, and they have around 600 listeners on Spotify right now. So yeah, this band could really, really use the support and the uh, notoriety because I Saw Hell When I Was With You is one of the coolest hidden gems I have been able to discover and talk about in the entire span of Ulterior's lifetime i saw hell when i was with you i don't remember how i came across it and that's something that i will say right now but whatever it was i am more than happy that that ended up being the reality for myself back at the beginning of march because had i not discovered this album in this band i would have been missing out on a real shining achievement for the scene this year something that i did notice was when i uh, looked up this album on google one of the first results is a review of it from distorted sound magazine And the initial uh, line for the review describes Downcast as pop punk from the UK. I understand where the pop punk name would be coming from. And yes, there are some pop punk tones on this album, but I feel like boiling it all down to pop punk is doing a disservice to what this album is really offering because it's pop punk and it's post-hardcore and just overall very emo at times too, and it's a sound that Downcast for their first full length album, they managed to put all this together perfectly, in my opinion. I think you can look at two songs like Britannia Mills and uh, Catharsis as like the good examples of the two sides of this band. So Britannia Mills has more of that, uh, like that downbeat nature to this style possessed by Downcast, whereas Catharsis is a little bit more Like, vibrant and upbeat and explosive in its chorus and the way that the song is delivered overall. And I feel like maybe Choruses is just one of the strongest suits of this band because I can look at any song here and say, A Weight That I Can't Stand or Hell have these immensely catchy choruses and these moments that are able to allow Downcast to really show themselves off to the listener and establish who they are and what we can expect from them in the future. And I think that's just like a a big-ass win for them immediately. The two songs on this album that just never ever left my side and I was thinking about constantly and I needed to listen to constantly, Someplace Safer and I Wanna Love Again. So same place safer. It was number one scenic overlook the week that I reviewed this album. I think that song just is able to take every element of post hardcore and pop punk and emo that has been able to like be this uh like a stingray to me for so long that is all packed into this song and it's a song that just moves me emotionally every single time i hear it i can remember hearing this song while sitting on the porch of the house i used to listen to back at house i used to listen to house i used to live in back in march that's my fucking fault and i just wanted to cry Like, no pussy shit. I really just wanted to fucking ball my eyes out to the song. And I don't fully understand why still. But it was a moment in time that meant so much to me. And looking back on it now, it still carries all that weight to it. And then the closing song, I Want to Love Again. I Want to Love Again has this very, like, beautifully painful pacing to its verses. And how it's never so, like... Upbeat or even like a downer of a verse. It's just something that exists, and the way that it it exists as it leads into the really explosive and just tear jerking chorus is a moment that I will never be able to forget. I can never let go of that song. I can never let go of this album. Downcast made enough of a statement for me to say that they are one of the best young rising bands in all the scene right now, and this album. Isn't just the proof of that, it is the realization of a band chasing a sound and mastering it in a way that bands with more experience than them, they have not even been able to. Number 14 is Bleed the Dream by Foreign Hands. I keep saying surprises about Chief State and Downcast. Foreign Hands might have been the biggest, and then also the best surprise of the year for myself. Because what Foreign Hands did with the post hardcore revival style of bands like Sea Space Cowboy and Static Dress, Rhizmeat Razor, those kinds of acts, they took that style and morphed it in a way where it feels like this EP was tailor-made for my taste and what it is I look for in post hardcore. Like, this is an EP that, had it been around in 2006 or seven, and it really sounds like it could have, this is immediately on my MySpace page. Like, there's no fucking question about what foreign hands can do for me. And the way that these songs just easily, like, bleed into one another. And from the opening song, Anemonia, and how that, like, really sets the tone and... It let me see how purposeful a lot of these creative decisions by forehands hands are. And what I mean by that is this EP sounds underproduced in a way. Like, it sounds like something so raw. And I feel like that is the only way that this kind of post-hardcore can work. Um, the moments on this EP that are blistering, they are fucking magnificent and heavy. The very emotional side of foreign hands, when it shines through clean singing... That is just as gripping and captivating as anything else happening here. And I look at, like, on Bleed the Dream, the title track, and how the clean vocals, they are able to, like, fit right in with the heaviness of this album, or EP, rather, and just how foreign hands establish the personality and identity right away from this EP. Like, this was just perfection on their part, really. It's not a question to me at all why Sharp Tone picked up this band, how they got on that bill with Counterparts, Dying Wish, and Sea Space Cowboy, it's because they belong there. They belong in that conversation. They belong in that echelon. And with the sharp tone backing and having this kind of material to their name to tour with, I see no future in 2023 where foreign hands do not become one of the staple acts of post-hardcore. Number 13 is Misery Made Me by Silverstein. I'm going to get this out of the way now. This is my favorite Silverstein record since Discovering the Waterfront. That is a 17-year span. I don't know if everybody listening to this is even above 17 years old, so take that for however you see it and however you perceive my fucking old ass to be. I think that there is something very charming and respectful when it comes to how well Silverstein have been able to adapt as the time progresses and how the sound that they have right now is not the sound they had in 2005 and I'm thankful for that because I got my post-hardcore fix for Silverstein way back then I don't need it now I do need what they're offering on Misery Made Me and what they're offering are some songs that just capture my imagination so fucking well and again For a band to be as tenured as Silverstein and to still be putting up this kind of quality material, that really speaks to the musicianship on the part of everybody in the band. And even from the initial singles rollout, I think it was pretty obvious that Silverstein had something really cooking and they were going to do some really incredible stuff this year. Bankrupt was a really good glimpse into that, and then I felt like It's Over was what really like pushed that anticipation over the top and was like... At least for me, the moment where I thought that Silverstein might be doing the best work of their careers, or at least, again, since Discovering the Waterfront. I keep mentioning that record because I'm such a merchant for it, but this actually might be the most talented that Silverstein have ever been. And every possible avenue that this band could have explored, and I would have wanted them to, they did so. Because you have tracks like Die Alone featuring Andrew from Comeback Kid and uh, The Alter Mary where that like, desire that I have for Heavy Silverstein, it is more than satisfied through those songs. Um, Live Like This featuring Nothing Nowhere, like, the way that that song kind of really plays to some of the more recent developments in the scene when it comes to, like, the Bring Me The Horizon style or that Linkin Park-inspired bit, that is, like, really signature to that style, and I think Silverstein just bodied that song, and so did Nothing Nowhere. His verse is fucking amazing. Cold Blood featuring Trevor Daniel has, like, a slower pacing to it, but it is a pacing and a style that Silverstein have no issue kind of figuring out as they're going along, per se. Uh, Closing song, Misery, that is, uh, like, a ballad type of a track, and I hear that song, and I mix it with everything else happening on Misery Made Me, and it's like, what the fuck can't Silverstein do? Like, really, what avenue can they not explore And find some level of success in because every step that they took to make Misery Made Me, they knew exactly what they were doing. And they knew exactly how to master the trajectory of this album. And it is a journey that I am glad to have been taking on. And I I understand Silverstein being, you know, like pretty tenured at this point per se. I'm not sure how much more of this type of an album they have in them but i will forever be immensely grateful that they delivered to me misery made me at the time that they did and in the manner that they did number 12 is end of an era by loveless I wanted this in the top 10 like pretty badly because I feel like Loveless, beyond just having a good EP this year, the year that they had in general was very, very important for the scene. And I feel like they became, and maybe more specifically Julian, became like a face of the contemporary social media movement for the scene and... It is something that he has been able to kind of wave the flag for really, really effectively. And having him be at the forefront of so many parts of the scene right now, that is necessary for us. And what's also necessary is just how much this EP delivered on all fronts. And yeah, it's easy to point to the track listing and say like, oh, but there are two covers on there. Yeah? And? So, the covers fucking rule. Running Up That Hill and Middle of the Night are two of my favorite covers I have heard from any scene act in a minute. You do also get some tracks from Loveless that had been released prior as singles. So, uh, Killing Time, If You Have My Voodoo Doll, Give Me a Hug, and then uh, Sorry I'm a Downer. I remember talking about Sorry I'm a Downer last year on this show and saying that Loveless have like figured out how to make very commercial sounding emo music that is still tremendous and i feel like that can also be applied to killing time and how that song really shares a lot of the same sentiments as sorry me downer where it's a little bit like slow in pacing at times but it's not slow in energy it's not slow in quality everything about those tracks work to perfection uh voodoo doll is a little bit more of like a like an anthemic rock song per se, like it has that riff, it has that style, and still, Loveless can take that kind of a tone for a song, and just morph it to their style really, really beautifully well. And I think on some of the other songs, or actually all of the other songs for that matter, Loveless continue to be one of the catchiest acts in all of music right now. The courses on Is It Me and Worst Case Scenario really play into that notion, in my opinion— um, Just Like I Do has this really like emotional layering to it that made it my favorite song on the EP and a song that I was able to like really hold in such high regard throughout the entire duration of this EP's existence. And it's something that really benefits Loveless and I think acts as like another testament to everything I'm saying about this band being so vital and necessary to us right now. I am beyond glad that we have Loveless and that Loveless are able to deliver these kinds of songs to us because it really can only help us moving forward. And for that reason, I think Loveless is a band that everybody should be championing, everybody should be supporting because of what they can do for us. Number 11 is True Power by I Prevail. To be honest, the agenda for I Prevail on my behalf this year, it was a little bit nasty. And I had my reasons for that. Uh, The biggest one being that I was going to see them live and they were my only concert this year. So I was like, yeah, uh, the album True Power, whatever happens on it, whether it's good or bad, I'm going to gas it up. Thankfully, it wasn't bad. This album is incredible. I feel so comfortable and confident now with where I Prevail are, as opposed to with like Trauma or um, Lifelines, because those albums are great, but they're not perfect, whereas I believe True Power is. And I feel like right when you get into this album, you're immediately kind of thrown into that deep end, and you can see for yourself just how far I Prevail have come. And that combination of the intro song, Zero O'Clock. Is that how you say it? Zero O'Clock? Am I supposed to say zero, zero, zero? Zero o'clock, whatever the fuck, and how that leads into their sphere and letting go. I already loved that combination hearing on this album and then getting to see this band live and having them open with that combination. It really only further established like how effective an, of an opening sequence that really is. Body Bag and Bad Things were the two singles that I got to spend the most time with and they managed to perfectly set up this record by showing me how good I Prevail can be at their two sides. So Body Bag is just like a pure metalcore song, very blistering, very heavy, very uh, fast-paced all the way through. Bad Things gives itself room to breathe and you have those verses that maybe expand a little bit into like uh the alt rock nature that people weren't really fucking with on uh trauma whereas i was i think bad things is the best song of that style that i prevail have ever put out that course is just ungodly catchy it is so fucking sick and there are so many other elements of this band that are explored throughout the track listing like on fake you kind of get a little bit more of what I was mentioning with bad things in terms of that straightforward rock nature Judgment day has almost like this punk rock pacing to it with how fast pace it can get um Deep end has this like uh it's like a really beautiful bridge to it that has some uh, electronic bits and pieces thrown in and it was something that I thought really really paid off for uh further diving into the versatility within i Prevail. The Negative is another song that I feel like highlighting because of how well I feel like it plays to the strengths of I Prevail and how catchy it is and just vibrant and infectious. Um, And then the closing song, Doomed. When I saw this band live, they just straight up brought out a piano for Doom and there was one spotlight shining onto that piano. And the way that Eric and Brian just trade these really just beautiful and uh, cathartic, clean vocals. One of the best moments all year for scene music, in my opinion, Doomed is just a really, really gutting and also appropriate outro for this record. And it's a record that I, again, said, you know, maybe I did have an agenda for it, but there's no need for one anymore because it straight up is, in my opinion, a perfect album. And I think it's an album that really shows Why I Prevail are as big as they are, how they got as big as they are, and why they're here to stay, and why they're a band that is going to do so much good for the scene, and how having them kind of wave this banner for us is not a bad thing at all. We need I Prevail. And that's it. So those were the records placed from 20th to 11th, and we are now at top 10. This is really it the ultimate finale for ulterior in 2022 top 10 records of the year and i know the finale for the songs i just waffled on i really don't know what's gonna happen with the records. so if that's what ends up being the case and i apologize but again let the kid cook because he's got some shit to say thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed this installment and as always for better or worse let's make a scene Tired of the negative black and white, you're right, I'm fucking over it.